Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, thank you so much for being here tonight. I tell you what, I am full of the Word and worship, so thank you, uh, Waylon and Wendy. Thank you, Matt, for a good word this morning. How many of you know we're blessed and highly favored? and blessed more than we could ever, ever realize. If you have your Bible tonight, I'd like for you to turn with me to two passages, Genesis and then Acts. So if you can juggle some scripture, or if you would like, just look at the screens. We're going to talk about something that I think is very relevant. The Lord's laid this on my heart, and so the next few times that I minister, whether it's on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, I'm going to continue on a subject and a question, are we living in the last days? Now, my opinion really doesn't matter, but how many of you know God's Word does matter, and God's Word does tell us some things that we need to know. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 1, this is Jacob getting ready to bless his sons before they die. Now, what he does, it's a two-part revelation, if you will. Part of it is the personal revelation of what they're going to be and what they're going to do in the days beyond Jacob as he dies. The second is also a prediction or a prophecy, if you will, of some of the latter times. So this is verse 1, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Say that with me. The last days. Now this is Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Now, some of us had a little reaction to Matt's preaching this morning. Uh, Jim and I were sitting on the front pew over here, and Matt made a statement that he was old. And we said that was false doctrine. So uh, we we didn't agree with that, Uh, us old codgers up on the front today. But if you will look at these two scriptures, they're both first references concerning the term last days. The first in the Old Testament, the first in the New Testament. There are eight total references in your Bible with the word last days. Eleven of those are in the Old Testament Uh, with the words latter days and most of them regarding Israel what's going to happen to them in the latter days of the last days so the question are we living in the last days the answer is absolutely yes because Peter asks and he really answers the question because in chapter 2 verse 17 quoting Joel of the Old Testament he says in the last days God speaking I will pour out my spirit So the church has always been concerned and intrigued and focused on the last day. So we're not the only generation that has ever been focused on this or concerned about this. So I want to take you through a historic journey, if you will, and I think it will help you and help me kind of get a reference of where we're at historically. Um, we, We don't want to make the same mistakes of past history. Agreed? So listen as I read. This is um, a well-known Christian said this, The last days are upon us. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. Now that was not written by a modern-day prophet. It was written by a man by the name of Ignatius. And it was written in 110 A.D., just a couple of decades after John wrote the book that we know as the Revelation. Here's another Christian who wrote, There is no doubt... 
that the Antichrist has already been born, firmly established, in his early years, he will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. Well, that's written by Martin in about A.D. 375. Well, they had good intentions, correct, but they were just a little off on their timetable. Um, Hippolytus wrote in the year 326 A.D. that Christ was sure to return by 500 A.D., and if he did, we missed him, and we didn't, right? Uh, Martin Luther in the 1500s wrote, We have reached the time of the white horse of the apocalypse. This world will not last any longer than a hundred years. But we did. A uh, little known fact about Christopher Columbus. Remember the guy, 1492, he sailed the ocean blue? He was a student of biblical prophecy, and he wrote in the book, the book of Prophecies, and this was somewhere around uh, you know, the 1400s. And he said the world would end in the year 1656. And he wrote, there's no doubt that the world must end in 155 years. Well, Columbus was not accurate, was he? In the year 1666, now look at the three last digits of that statement, 1666. The world had a huge explosion of speculation that uh, the Lord was going to come, and, and there was a, a, you know, a time where everything that happened, a storm or a catastrophe, people were running to the church because they thought the Lord was going to come in 1666. In the 1800s, there was a man by the name of William Miller. He was a Baptist lay preacher, and he predicted the return of Christ, and at one point he had 100,000 followers. And he said the date was going to be between March 1842, March 1843. And uh, so this uh, timetable, people were preparing for the coming of the Lord. They dressed themselves in white robes. They went out on mountaintops and hillsides. And they tarried, and the Lord didn't come in the 1800s. How many of you remember the year 1999? Anybody remember that? There was a term, Y2K, and we thought, many thought, that the world was going to melt down because computers could not make the transition from 1999 to the year 2000. It was so uh, kind of funny that back in the old facility before we moved up here, uh, Dow and I would talk about it, and we didn't think that uh, 2000 was going to be the year the Lord came just because of a computer glitch. There's more signs than a computer glitch, amen? And so Dow bought me a galvanized milk bucket, and it, he put on it, and I, I think I still have it somewhere, he, he put it in my Y2K bucket. And he said, just in case you need to get a milk cow and go milk some cows, he said, here's the bucket. So <laughs> Dow was preparing me for Y2K. Uh, 1910, Halley's Comet passed by the Earth, and uh, some of the newspaper articles in that time says the comet that may kill Earth life, and so people were very upset because they thought the apocalypse was coming because of Halley's Comet. Uh, Joanna Southcott, she was 42 years old. She reported hearing voices. That should be the first clue, <laughs> right? When you start hearing voices, that might be the first clue. There's your sign. Uh, she predicted future events, including crop failures, famines of the 1799s and the 1800s. She began publishing her own books, eventually developed a following as many, again, as 100,000 believers. In 1813, she announced in the following year she would give birth to the second Messiah. 
whose arrival would signal the last days on the earth, despite being 64 years old, and as she told her doctor, a virgin, but she died before the baby could be born. Imagine that. Uh, you'll remember this book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. So this was written by a NASA engineer, Edgar Wisnap. He appeared several times on the TBN network and provided instructions how to prepare for the rapture. And when Jesus did not come in 1988, he wrote another book, Why He Will Come in 1989. And then he predicted that the Lord would come in 1993 and 1994, but Mr. Wisnant died in 2001. So, very interesting, isn't it? There's always been predictors and prognosticators and people who are, quote, prophets telling when the Lord's going to come. But the best source is not listening to somebody else's prophecy. The best source is the Word of God. So as we go through the Word of God, and, and this is going to take a few weeks, but I want to not, not only whet your appetite for what we're expecting to come upon the earth, and for us, how many of you know it's going to be good because we're looking for that blessed day of redemption when the Lord's going to come and catch us away. Now, if you're not a believer tonight, let me tell you, you're in trouble. You're in huge trouble. And before the Lord comes, and hopefully before this night's over, you will accept Him as Lord and Savior. So why does Peter on the day of Pentecost indicate that the coming of the Holy Spirit began the last days? Well, I think there are some uh, things that you need to know. It is the beginning of a different time frame, or we might say dispensation, which is alluding to an appointed order, a time, or an age. Now we're living in the church age, or the age of grace. We're not living under the law, we're not a part of the old patriarchs. And we're not looking for another covenant. How many of you know we got the right covenant right now? And this is the covenant of grace. We're saved by faith. And we're saved by grace through faith because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary. He's shedding his blood, dying for your sins and my sins, and he resurrected. Now, the last days is going to really give an opening to the future events that lead to the rapture and the great tribulation. Now the great tribulation, many of you know this if you don't, is the judgment upon mankind and then it's going to be the rise of the Antichrist. Every Abrahamic religion that has ties to Abraham is looking for a Messiah. Everyone. Christianity, we already know who the Messiah is. It's Jesus Christ. But we're looking for his return. The Jews are looking for a Messiah and Islam is looking for a Messiah. All the Abrahamic religions today, right now, are looking for a coming Messiah. This is an article from Israel Today, is Israeli Today. This is dated October the 15th, 2020. In a recent interview on Israeli radio, again featuring prominent rabbis, explaining that the Messiah is just about to be revealed to us. Now, they believe the Messiah is getting ready to be revealed. Now, I'm going to butcher some of these names because they're not just uh, good old-fashioned names. Rabbi Yaakov uh, Zishholtz told religious broadcasters that Rabbi uh, Kanavinsky recently told him that he's already in direct contact with the Messiah. To understand why religious Jews are taking this seriously, it's important to know that Rabbi Kaninskavi is uh, concerning one of the two or top three rabbis of the Orthodox Jewish community in Israel. He said 
that he has now been tasked with informing the public of the Messiah's imminent arrival. And he began to explore this in this interview. And he says the process of redemption is about to start happening very quickly and at a very fast pace. It's important that people remain calm and steady to act properly in the right time. And they believe the Messiah is already here and he's going to be revealed in the next few years. Now, this is not something that, you know, there's just conjecture. I mean, these people, they believe the Messiah is here and he's going to be revealed. These religious leaders also believe that Israel's prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, will be the last prime, ministry, uh, prime minister of Israel's history, but the next leader will be the Messiah. I mean, that's what they're believing today. What is that doing to you right now? Is that making you think and begin to make you think about you know, where we're at in, in history, where we're at in, in biblical revelation? It's also interesting that Netanyahu is the longest-serving Israeli prime minister that Israel has ever had. And they believe that he will be the last one. In Islam, the Shias believe that the imam called the 12th imam will be the ultimate successor to the prophet Muhammad. This 12th and final imam is called, and there's different names, Muhammad el-Mahade, and he's considered to be alive and hidden until he uh, returns and brings justice to the world and will be the savior of mankind. Now there's a name for this group and it's called the Twelvers. How many of you ever heard the term the Twelvers? Now it's interesting because their uh, name really is indicative of the Twelfth Imam. They, they believe that he's coming. Many believe he's already here. Now they believe he will return as a Messiah with Jesus that Jesus is going to be with him when he returns to bring peace to the world, establish Islam as the ruling faith across the globe. And I can almost guarantee you, and I will guarantee you, that Jesus is not going to establish Islam as the religion of the world. It is totally in defiance. The, the, the catch here is that the Mahade is expected to appear when the world is racked by utter chaos and war, Many Sunnis also believe that the Mahdi will come in such a judgment day scenario, but believe he has not been born yet, but many believe he's already here. Uh, their beliefs has raised concern in conjunction with Iran's steep interest in pursuing nuclear uh, programs and nuclear warfare, combined with the threats against Israel and the West. Now, the reason is... They believe that in the middle of this chaos, that's when their Messiah is going to appear. So what they're doing, they're trying to bring that about. So if you wondered why uh, Iran is trying to create their nuclear program and while they're waging jihad, and it's not just Iran, but it's many of the Islamic groups, why are they creating such uh, calamity and, and, and pain and suffering? It's because they believe that is going to usher in their Messiah. So they are determined to do that. And when we try to have political solutions to religious problems, it will never ever work. Because political solutions don't cure religious problems. And underlining, it's all a sin problem and a deceptive practice. And it is something that obviously we have to be concerned about. So perhaps it says here in this article that a cataclysmic strike on Israel or part of the West 
will hasten the arrival of the 12th imam that will bring about his appearing. And so when you watch the news, you need to understand some of the things that are underlining these things that people are doing in the Middle East because they believe that is going to uh, precipitate and invite that Messiah to come. So Peter introduces us in the New Testament to this term, last days. And the last days does have certain things that's going to be characteristic of it. So if you have 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a verse that many of you know. This is verses 1 through 5, and it begins to tell us the nature of humans and people on the earth and what kind of days that we're going to live in. But know this, that in the last days, here's the term again, right? The last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now look at this, and if you mark in your Bible, please do, perilous times. Say that with me, perilous times. Now what does that mean? Well, the definition of this word means hard, hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous, fierce, and savage. So Paul is saying these are perilous times. You know, this morning we heard about Paul and how that he was beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, robbed. He was uh, mistreated in many different ways, jailed, but yet he says perilous times are yet to come. <laughs> you think, well, Paul... Are you not in perilous times? He says, no, they're coming. And so here he refers to last days will be perilous times. Now, it also has the definition, and I like this because it really meant something to me. It means moving from a higher place to a lower place. Moving from a higher place to a lower place. Even in my short lifetime... I've seen the world move from a higher place to a lower place. And many of you would agree with that. What we called perverted years ago now has become mainstream accepted. And not just by a fringe group. I'm talking about in the highest places of government. What we used to call perversion is now accepted and perverted people have become the leaders of our country. What is that? Perilous times. And Paul gave us the insight. In Revelation chapter 6, we have this very unusual, and it is unusual, but it's also very supernatural and predictive, the breaking open of an un. Of a, of a scroll that is sealed and now it's going to be unsealed and it's referring to chapter 5 about this scroll. Now when the scroll is presented there's great lament in heaven because no one's worthy to unloose uh, or unbind or unseal the scroll. And then the cry comes out through heaven and here's the cry, no one is worthy to open the scroll except the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, who is the line of the tribe of Judah? That's Jesus Christ. 
He is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. And now the Lion of the tribe of Judah is now beginning to break the seals. And these seals begin to unfold. And if you can think about this, you know, page after page after page in sequence. And when one thing happens, it produces another thing behind it. So as we look at these seals being uh, opened and unsealed, the first seal talks about a world leader riding in on a white horse with a bow, with a crown, and it appears that he has some semblance to a Messiah or a second coming. Now here's the problem. This is not Jesus Christ coming, even though it looks a little bit like it. Now, he has a crown, but how many of you know in the Bible, Jesus is crowned with many crowns. And he is going to come on a white horse, but when he comes, it will not be like this. So the first seal is open, a world conqueror appears, and he's going to be a false messiah. Now, here are the effects of this false messiah, and we've just touched a little bit about it. But the second seal that's open brings war and conflict, and peace is now taken from the earth. So he can't be the prince of peace because what does he do? He takes peace from the earth. Now this is chapter 6 of Revelation. Now the third seal that is open brings widespread scarcity of food and supplies. And now this world leader that introduces war and conflict, peace is gone, food is scarce, Supplies are very few, and there is a scurrying of trying just to eke out a living day by day, and the food prices are exorbitant, and we see an economy that is uh, totally devastated because this person appears on the world scene because of war, because of conflict. Do you know today that the Russian troops are massing on the Ukrainian borders today? How many of you have seen that in the news? Okay. How many of you don't care? <laughs> but one of the last articles I saw was the, the Russian troops are lining up on the Ukrainian border. And one of the reasons is because, you know, Putin wants to flex his muscle to show how powerful he is. And he really doesn't care for, you know, our country, our administration. And, and so we're seeing some conflicts. Now, when you look at the fourth seal, there is widespread death. Due to the war, the hunger, and by, it says, the beast of the earth. And it says, one-fourth of the people are killed. One-fourth. Say that with me. One-fourth. Now, I looked it up today. Today's estimated world population is 7.9 billion people. 7.9 billion people. So, I believe the Bible is true, and I think you do too. So, one-fourth of the world's population is today... 2 billion, about 2 billion people. Now, obviously with the pandemic, we have had millions of people worldwide die. In the United States, it's what, over 500,000 people. But let me tell you, this is just a little bit of a view of what's going to happen in the future. And the Bible's very clear about that. It's going to be just a little glimpse of what is going to be on a bigger scale. Can you imagine 2 billion people dying? in the course of a very short time because of this false Messiah who comes on the earth, who, endorse, who uh, introduces us to war and conflict. There's no peace. Now there's a shortage of food. Now we have a lack of supplies. Now we have 
death is coming through pestilence and disease. Now the fifth seal that is broken is what we call the cry of the martyrs. Now think about this with me. From the time of Cain and Abel, think about this, from the time of Cain and Abel, people have died for the cause of God, the cause of Christ, for the righteous. And now in this fifth seal, the martyrs of the earth, and now we're not just talking about, you know, behind us, but also today and before us, all the way up to this fifth seal. And I'm going to guess in seal one, two, three, and four, there's going to be people martyred for the cause of Christ. And even today, listen to me, even today, people are dying for Jesus Christ. I saw a picture, I was reading an article, and there was a picture of a church in Africa. And you could see the outline of the foundation. There was no walls, there, there was no roof. They were setting in this, this area of foundation where you knew there used to be a building. And the Muslim extremists had come in, and they had burnt the church down. And these people still gathered. They were sitting on the ground within this foundation, and the preacher was in the front. He was preaching, and there was no building, but you could see the outline of it. Let me tell you something. If you think you got it bad today, you need a checkup from the neck up. There are people who would love to be in your situation today. They would love to have a church to come to. They would love to have a car to drive to church. They would love to have a refrigerator in their home that had food in it. We are so spoilt, we don't even know how spoilt we are. I won't get on the soapbox, but I'm just telling you we are. So the cry of the martyrs, how long until you avenge our blood? So what are they crying? Lord, we've been killed for your namesake. We have died for you. So when are you going to avenge us? Now, the Lord is going to avenge them, and he says, hang on, just a little while longer, and these voices crying from the altar, saying, Lord, how long? And he says, it's coming quickly. The avenging of the blood of the martyrs is going to happen in the great tribulation and beyond. So, seal five, the martyrs. Seal six, then we have cosmic activity that begins to happen and disturbances such as earthquakes, the sun becomes blackened, moon-like blood, stars of heaven begin to fall to the earth, mountains and islands are moved out of their place, people run for shelter, now look where they run, caves, rocks, in the mountains, and they cry out, hide us, hide us, that is their cry. You and I have to realize that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And everything in the cosmic realm, God is in control of. I, I saw a little commercial, and I just saw it yesterday and today for the first time. It's uh, advertising some kind of education program. There's two kids at a computer, and this voice in the computer says, we don't know where space begins, and we don't know where space ends. I thought, that's a good question. But we do know the greatest thing in our universe that we have been exposed to, the, the greatest discovery of all is the human mind. And I thought, well, that's good too. So where does space begin? Where does space end? I don't have a clue. But I do know who's in control all of it. And that's Almighty God, the Creator. So He created all of this. And we know in, in Scripture, and Paul addresses this, 
This is in Romans chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like to, you know, hold me accountable, that's fine. But in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that all creation is groaning right now. And the, the term in the Greek is that creation is having labor pains. Now, if you have labor pains, and I'm getting ready to be a new uh, uh, papa uh, here in about two weeks. Uh, we're, we're going to uh, have a new baby girl by the name of Hartley to be added to our family. And so Matt and Stephanie are going to the, the Indian hospital, and, and we're going to uh, have a new little baby girl. But I do know this, that the more intense the labor pains come, the closer it is to delivery. And the closer you get, the pains get more intense. So I think what we're seeing today is just the beginning, according to Scripture, of labor pains. Now, I don't know what the guest station period of the earth is, <laughs> but I know once it starts, it's going to finish. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that the world is going through labor pains and that creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God and the daughters of God to be manifest. And this is what creation knows. That when we are set in our right place without sin, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then creation also will be set in the right place as God originally created it. Every day of creation, God said what? It is good and sin caused our world and the cosmos to implode so what was originally created was not uh, what we see today but God's going to restore it back to what he originally had created it to be so what do we see now we see earthquakes the sun something's happening with it the moon the stars of heaven they're going to fall where to the earth I had someone ask me several years ago because, you know, we had all of these stories, uh, you know, Armageddon and uh, uh, I can't think of some of the others, but there was a stream of about three or four different movies that were pretty big movies. And they were all about what? Asteroids hitting the earth. And so they asked me and they said, Pastor, do you believe that a big meteor or an asteroid is going to hit the earth? And I said, absolutely. And they looked at me like, why would you answer so quickly? And I said, because it's in the Word of God. That this flaming mountain is going to come and strike the earth, and, and the ships are going to be destroyed, and the water is going to be corrupted, and, and the fish uh, and, and sea creatures are going to die, and, and all of this is going to happen. You say, well, goodness gracious, well, what movie did you watch? No, I just read Revelation. That's what I did. And so I don't have to wonder if those things are going to happen. Now, I might wonder when they're going to happen, but I know that they're going to happen. So we, we see this in the breaking of the sixth seal. And then we begin to see, now I want you to catch this because this is very, very important. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So that, that's the end of this chapter when this sixth seal is broken. Now what I want you to catch from the beginning of the first seal until the breaking of the sixth seal there is no reference of the wrath of God. 
Everything that we have that precipitates from the first seal is a result of the one who appears in the breaking of the first seal. So we don't see the wrath of God until what? The end of this chapter, the breaking of the sixth seal, hide us from his face, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, the great day of his wrath has come who is able to stand. So now we're introduced to what? The wrath of God, and we begin what we would know as what? The great tribulation. Now, this seventh seal, because we come in groups of sevens. How many of you know seven is God's number? We have seven seals, we have seven trumpets, we have seven bowls. We're not going to talk about all those tonight. But I'm just going to tell you there are three sets of sevens that, that uh, come about here. So the seventh seal introduces us to the seven angels who hold, and they're going to blow the seven trumpets. Now in chapter 6, we just talked about this, that we have, what, one-fourth of the world population is going to die, and if it's you know, going to be close to the population today, two billion people are going to die. But when we get to chapter 9, the Bible says that a third of the people died. That's 2.6 billion people. So at this point, if we have this uh, constant you know, population we want, it's going to increase, then over half of the world's population is now gone. Over half of the world's population is now gone. This is Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons or idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, let's keep verse 21 up here on the screen because there are four areas that he targets. Now, this is so important. Four areas he targets there in verse 21. All four of these areas are forgivable sins. All four areas are forgivable sins. So the first one is murders. From righteous Abel until today, every day people have been murdered by the thousands. And today we have seen a huge accumulation of unborn babies murdered. Forgivable, absolutely. The grace of God, as we sing tonight, reaches out to all of us, and God is quick to forgive us. Amen? But here is the first area, he says, murders. Now, why? Because to God, life is important. He's the giver of life. That's the first area. The second area, he says, is sorceries. In the Greek, it is the word pharmakai. That's going to help you tonight, and it's going to scare you tonight. And I'm not here to scare you. But it's the use of illicit drugs, poisoning, poisoning, sorcery, and witchcraft. Would you agree with me we have a huge drug problem today? God's going to judge it. Now, we're not talking about going to your pharmacy and getting an aspirin. Everybody all right? We're not talking about a little Nexium or Prilosec or 
hydrocortisone cream. We're talking about mind-altering drugs, which has been used from eons past, if you will, for a lot of different reasons that weren't legitimate. And they're also used in witchcraft and sorceries. So the word here is pharmakai, where we get the word pharmacy. Here's the third area, sexual immorality. If you have a King James Version, it's the word uh, fornication. The word there is pornea. Guess what word we get from this in our culture today? It is porn, pornography. So these are another, uh, this is another area, these are another areas in that heading. And let me give you the definition it is fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, uh, bestiality, incest, and sexual abuse. And God said he's going to judge those, and the last is thefts. Now, let me go back where I started on this. These are all forgivable sins. And I would guess that some of us have probably committed one or more of this list. So I'm not going to get up here and say, I'm super righteous and holy. I'm just saying these are all forgivable sins. And through the grace of God, we can be forgiven. But look at the verse. But they would not repent. So what's the requirement here? You must repent. You and I cannot be saved unless we repent. That's why on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, they said, what shall we do? And the first thing Peter said is, repent. Then he said, be baptized. But the first thing he said is, repent. It doesn't do any good to get baptized if you don't repent. The only thing you got was wet. Right? And I'm all for baptism, but I'm just saying, you got to get it in right order. You have to repent. And, and I would love to say you repent once, you'd never have to repent again in your life, but I found out every once in a while I say something, do something, I have to go back and repent again. doesn't mean I'm lost, it just means I need to get right with God, right? Get my life back on track here. So, would you agree with me that our world is headed for destruction? Now, I don't want to, you know, give you any kind of uh, uh, fear here, because perfect love casts out fear, so I want to give you some parting words of comfort because it's already time to go. But how many of you give me about five, six, ten more minutes here? I can't believe an hour's already passed, but anyway. So Luke 21, if you'd like to turn there, th these are the words of Jesus, and he's talking about the last days. So I, I want to put it in context so we, we understand what he's saying here. So verse 34, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the uh, carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life and that day come upon you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth so who's going to be affected everybody on the face of the earth watch therefore pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all thing, all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man now, if you underline in your Bible, and let me just extremely encourage you to do this, verse 36, look there please, that you may be counted worthy to escape. Everybody say escape. Okay, now, now here's the word. The Greek word is ekphago. It means to flee from, seek safety, to escape from danger, to be saved by flight. 
Now, the first part of that ek fugo, the, the ek means out of or away from. So, this is what the scripture does not say. Okay. For it will come as a snare upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to endure all these things. That's not what it said. What did it say? Escape. So let me tell you my opinion, and I value my opinion. And I believe it's based on the Word of God. I don't believe that you're going to go through the Great Tribulation. Because there's way too many verses that indicate you will not. This verse says you're going to what? Escape these things. It does not say you will endure these things. This is important. He said you will what? Escape. Now if it's going to come on the whole face of the earth and all people, there's only one way I know you're going to escape this. It's not going to be in a cave. It's not going to be in the dens of the rocks. We've already read that. Hide us from his face. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. The only way that I know that I'm going to escape, my family's going to escape, your family's going to escape, is we're going to go be with Jesus. And let me tell you, that's good news. He did not say, I'm going to let you endure these things. He said, I'm going to what? Let you escape these things. Okay. Now, 1 Thessalonians, this is chapter 5, verse 3. Paul, again, is dealing with this, and he says, When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Okay? So who escapes and who doesn't escape? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are going to escape the great tribulation. Those who do not serve Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will, according to Paul, not escape that time. They're going to what? go through that time. Will some people be saved through that time? According to Scripture, absolutely. They overcame the mark. Now, you may have to have your head cut off. Man, that makes me want to go on the first load right there. You may have to endure all kind of stuff, but I want you to know, if you know Jesus, you're going to escape. Now, let me give you just another preview. We'll talk about this again. Uh, next Sunday, I want you all to be back. Uh, Dr. Van Hoos will be with us, and he, he's always a hoot, let me tell you. But Jesus said it would be like in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. How many of you remember that verse? He said people would be buying, selling. They'd be getting married, given in marriage, and then boom, what's going to happen? Then that day's going to come. Um, as in the days of Lot, we know the type of uh, conditions and the morality that Lot was living in. It's much like the day we're living in right now, isn't it? 
But listen to the message of the angels. We'll talk about this again. The angel told Lot and his family that left. And all of them didn't leave. Son-in-law stayed behind. Didn't go good with Miss Lot, did it? Shortest uh, sermon in the Bible, Jesus preached it. Remember Lot's wife. That's a three-word sermon right there. Some of you are saying, well, why don't you, Pastor Matt, and you preach sermons like that? Well, we're not Jesus, that's why. Remember Lot's wife. But this is what the angel told Lot. He said, destruction cannot come upon these cities until we get you out of here. Is that what he said? Now, Jesus said it will be as in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And in the days of Lot, the angel said, we cannot destroy these cities until we get you out of here. Now, it did not start raining. There was no flood until Noah got on the ark. And then when the Lord shut the door on those eight souls, then the heavens dropped the water, the fountains of the deep broke open, and the world was judged because of sin. But he waited until Noah was on the ark. So today, let me close with this. The world is looking for a Messiah. The Islamic people are looking, that religion is looking for Messiah. The Jews are looking for Messiah. We're looking for a Messiah, but we know who he is. His name is Jesus. They, they really aren't for sure who theirs is. Some are saying he's already here. They've already talked to him. And listen, this has been going on for centuries. And that, that's why I wanted to give you the history. This has been a topic that people have commented on since the first century. But there are some signs that have happened in your lifetime. In your lifetime. And we'll talk about it in the future. That the Messiah could not come. Jesus could not come to rapture us away until certain things were fulfilled. And they were only fulfilled and beginning to be fulfilled in your and my lifetime. Israel had to come back and be a nation again. There had to be a system put into place where there was a worldwide financial system. It's already here, right? There had to be technology in place where when the two witnesses come right in the middle of the Great Tribulation, that all the world could see their slain bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. And that could only happen just in the last few years. Are you with me? I've always thought this, and you've heard me say this. When those first century believers were writing down the Word of God as the Holy Spirit was uh, moving upon them to write, and the Spirit of God said, John, I want you to write down. All the world's going to see those bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. And John said, I'll write it down. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'll write it down. But you know today, the whole world will be able to see those bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. They're going to be watching CNN and Fox and MSNBC, and the world will be tuned in, and we'll see what's going to happen. Now, I hope I'm viewing from another vantage point at that place. 
But I'm telling you, there were certain things that had to come into place before these things could happen. And we're closely and rapidly getting there. When's that going to happen? I can tell you the exact hour. An hour you think not. That's when it's going to happen. But we can know the season. Let me whet your appetite for something else. Up until now, the Lord has done major prophetic events on Jewish holidays. Jesus was taken on Passover and during unleavened bread. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So the Lord seemingly is fulfilling things that he spoke of prophetically on Jewish feasts and festivals. I'm not saying that's the way it's going to be. I'm just telling you God's M.O. And he began to tell us certain things are going to come about in the time that we live in. Two are going to be sleeping in one bed. One taken, one left. Two women are going to be grinding at the mill. Let's update it. Two women are going to be shopping at Walmart. One taken, one left. Forgive me. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a group of people that are gone. I want to be in that group. I want you to be in that group. If you're not sure, you need to be sure. This is important. This is more important than your job. It's more important than your recreation, your kids' softball team. Nothing wrong with those. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying this is very important. Church won't save you. Because your family went to church won't save you. Jesus saved you. You've got to have to have a relationship with him. Because one day he's going to come back after his bride. And uh, he's going to say, it's time to go home, bride. And he's going to come back after us. And if you read that uh, parable of the, the virgins, they didn't know when the bridegroom was coming. Let me tell you when he would come, when he finished the house for. According to Jewish tradition, there would be a pledging, there would be a contract, there would be an arrangement for a marriage. An espousal like Mary and Joseph had. But then he would go home to his father's house to prepare a place for that bride. And they almost lived almost like a compound. And once he got it ready, and the father inspected it, and said, okay, it's good, he would say, now go get your bride and bring her home. John 14, this is what Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when that place is ready, guess what he's going to do? He's going to come back, and he's going to get his bride. And he's going to say, it's time to go home to my father's house. I've prepared a place for you that where I am, you may be also. That's where we're going to be. Stand with me tonight. 
We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.